to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Um, so we usually, we've given this talk a bunch over the last 10 years. Um, that you actually, that was kind of my introduction into ministry. Jeremy was running a ministry school, and then I would always show up on the day that we would talk about sex with a lot of the, the young people. Um, but I, we find, we have found that this is a conversation, not just for young people, it is for parents of very young children, it's for parents of older children, it is for young people, old people, it is a very good topic to talk about that is not often talked about in church. Um, and to begin, I want you to know, we are not sex experts. No. Um, not in the degreed kind of way. No, not in the degreed kind of way. Um, we obviously we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. It's going to be fun and funny and jovial, um, but we just also want to say that we know at the same time we're we're treading on sacred ground. Yeah. Um, that it isn't always the same for everybody to hear about these things. If there are moments that are triggering, triggering for you, we want you to know there will be ministry at the end and also that that is not our intention. Our intention is to bring joy back to something that was always meant to be a gift. Come on. Come on, sister. That's good. Yeah. My, my sister, my bride. Um, we unashamedly <laughs> use proper terminology so you will hear words like masturbation, pornography, and, and those don't make us nervous. Obviously, we've done this a lot of times, but um, yeah. So grace, grace. Yeah, um, one, of the, one of our goals tonight is to just twist the knife in shame. Just, just kill shame a little bit more tonight so that we could live more freely. Um, really... I, I think that the reason why there is so much um, sexual sin and confusion and just and everything that comes with that, all the subtopics that come with that, because I think it's because the church abdicated her role in talking about sex. Somewhere along the way, the church got convinced of a lie that sex is gross or disgusting or shameful. And so we abdicated. Or always sinful. Yeah, or even sin. Like, we abdicated our role in training the world in the thing that we should know the most about. Like, if we claim to follow and worship the Creator and have a relationship with the Creator who created sex, then we should um, know more than the world about this topic. Um, okay, poll time. Uh, show of hands, how many of you, your first exposure to sexuality or sex was through the church? Cool. Um, <laughs> how many of you, your first exposure to sex or sexuality was through your parents? The first time you ever heard about sex? That's about right. It's like 20% from of your the parents. room. That's good. Okay. okay awesome. Yeah. How many of you heard from a friend? Or anywhere else. School, or school or, internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's pretty common. And again, another reason that we're very passionate about talking to parents is because a lot of us were not equipped for how to uh, walk in this world as sexual beings, but we also were not equipped on how to train up beings that understood that your, that your sexuality is a gift from God. It is always a gift from God. It doesn't change from the day before you get married to suddenly on the day you get married, it is a gift. It is always a gift. Mm -hmm. It is a gift to be stewarded. And so we want to talk about how to steward your children through understanding how to steward their sexuality as well. 
When Ashley says it's a gift, um, even before you're married, that might be hard to, to understand. But when God created man, when he created Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful and multiply, that's another way of saying he gave humanity a sex drive from the get-go. And so you're, everyone in here knows that you had a sex drive before you were married, or if you're not married yet, you have a sex drive, and it is from God, and it's something that we get to celebrate um, that's from the Lord. Yeah, I'm just, I write notes. Oh, that's good, Brian. I think of. That means I said something good. You did say something good. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of a little bit about why we believe it's so important to um, cultivate a culture of openness about sex within your family and even in this community. Um, we, I mean, testimony-wise, we have had people that we have actually never had a sex talk with that have spent time with us, and after, like, a year of being our friends, I, I remember them saying something along the lines of, like, you know, We've actually, like, you you guys being open or joking or just talking about sex in a, in a healthy way has completely changed our marriage. Before, bef- you know, they'd been married for many years, and they said, before we started hanging out with you guys, we would maybe have sex once like, every three months or so, like, mm-hmm. about four times a year. But they said, and they were like, in the last three months, we've had more sex than we've ever had. <laughs> Yeah, they said, like, in the last three months, we've had more sex than our entire marriage, like, combined. Which, it is so so transformative to a marriage to be able to connect powerfully, sexually, in a vulnerable way. Um, But, Remy, why don't you get us started on what God's design for sex is? God's design for sex... All pleasure is meant to lead us to the Lord. Hey. And so life isn't about trying to figure out how to sin less. Life isn't a, is not about sinning less. It's about letting all of the pleasures, that your desires, direct you towards the Lord. If you actually want to be a hedonist, you have to go all the way into the heart of Jesus because in his presence is the fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, which means that we serve a God who actually designed us to enjoy the things this world has to offer offer in the proper boundaries, right? Right. So um, when, we, when we live in a place where our desires and, and, and our, our seeking after pleasure leads us into the heart of Jesus, we lead a life of thankfulness. That's, it's holy. Man. And, and there's a few things I wanted to, I call them sex truths, and I'm going to say them real quick. Um, Sex is a gift meant to bring connection. Sex is spiritual warfare meant to strengthen marriage from attacks from the enemy. Sex is an endorphin-releasing mood booster. Sex is a relationship within your relationship, which, uh, let me talk about that for just a moment. Um, A lot of times, um, our sex life goes through what is called the ups and the downs. And sometimes it's really great and it's really frequent. Sometimes not so much just because of the way that life goes. Um, Within your marriage, there are so many relationships. You have a dating relationship with your spouse. You have a friendship relationship with your spouse. You have a parenting relationship with your spouse. And at any given time, those can be at, again, just like your sexual relationship, any kind of ups and downs. Mm -hmm. To believe that there is something wrong with you because you're going through a season where it doesn't look like when you first got married, that's okay. (laughs) It's a relationship that's meant to be stewarded and invested in. 
Just like if I want to date my spouse, I have to spend time actually dating them. If I want to grow in our ability to parent together, we actually have to spend time working on that relationship. Does that make sense? Okay. Something we tell um, uh, couples that are heading towards marriage, if we're doing premarital, premarital counseling, is that you know, sex early on, on your wedding night, on your honeymoon, it might be fireworks or it might not be. Um, and it's okay. It, I mean, it's wonderful either way because if it's not amazing and if you haven't, you know, experienced, you know, everything that it's meant to be, you have years to be together to practice. You, you actually have to learn one another's bodies, more so the men learning the women's bodies because um, with a men, with men, it's usually like you just need to turn on the ignition, you know, of a of a truck. But with women, with women, it's like an airplane where there's all these switches and things you have to <laughs> do in order to take flight. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a beautiful journey. <laughs> um, uh, we talked about this a little bit, but is your sex drive sexuality always a gift? Yes. Um, marriage, and many of you who are married in this room understand um, that marriage doesn't fix brokenness. It doesn't fix addiction. Marriage is actually an amplifier of things that are already broken. So <laughs> um, while it's always a gift, we're learning how to steward it. The same way that I want to teach my, okay, money is a gift. I want to teach my children how to steward their money well so it blesses them. Food is a gift to be enjoyed, but we want to know how to steward it well to bless our bodies and to bless our health. Similarly, we want to teach our children how to understand how to steward their sexuality. They're going to have impulses. They're going to have attraction. It, for us, I, I was not ready <laughs> for how young it would it would you know, awaken or become an, uh, oh, an issue. It's not an issue. But um, I mean, my son was five the first time that he, out of the blue, I'm folding clothes, and he's like, Mom, I can tickle my penis. And I'm like, <laughs> I thought I had more time. <laughs> I was completely caught off guard, and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe you just shouldn't do that. And yeah, he's like, man. but I'm really good at tickling my penis. <laughs> And I'm like, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> really, I'm talking about like, and of course, Jeremy's nowhere to be found. I'm like, I have no idea. I, again, I thought I had more time to learn how to have. I thought maybe I would have to have this conversation when he was like 10, 12, but five years old and it's right there. Or you have a child who is recognizing that there is a part of their body that responds differently than another part of their body. It's mm -hmm. not them trying to sin because they're, they're just discovering, oh, that's different. It feels good. Because again, God created body parts to respond. So like every body part has a function that serves the body, except for one. So biologists, scientists, they, they know that the clitoris serves no biological function other than to provide pleasure. Isn't because that amazing? God is good. Can we not worship a God that invented the clitoris? Simply for the purpose. Can we worship a God who created the orgasm? Like, isn't that amazing? Like, we serve a really good God. He could have made sex orgasmless. Like, we could reproduce by, like, sending spores into the air or something, or just a, 
or a lifeless handshake, but he didn't do that. Like he invented this amazing process that is all about pleasure and discovery and intimacy. Well, and it's always meant to be about a journey and connection and growing in vulnerability. That's why it's meant for marriage. It is meant to be something that you you grow in together. Yeah. And and getting back to the kid thing, like a lot of times people will call a sex talk like the one talk. Like for me, I came from a family where at 11, my mom sat me down, she had to talk. She said things I pretty much already figured out. Um, and it was like, all right. And I remember at the very end, she was like, do you have any questions? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And she goes, oh God. And I was like, do you feel better now? And she was like, yes, I do. Because a lot, of, a lot of us, historically, either that's how our parents approached it. They were like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, we got to have this talk. <sighs> you know, they're like pumping themselves up to give that talk. Or you could come from a family like Jeremy's where no one ever talked about it. Yes. I grew up in an awesome Christian home. We loved the Holy Spirit, went to a great church, worshipped our hearts out. My mom read the Bible to me growing up. Um, but they never once, I never even heard my parents say the word sex, maybe to this day, and I'm 40. And, <laughs> and it, I know they've had sex, because here I am. Like, <laughs> but <laughs> but when their silence broadcasted a, um, a subtle message that introduce shame into my life. And I know that they didn't intend that. Because but silence says something. Mm-hmm. So anything having to do with my parts or hitting puberty or being sexually attracted to, to women, like it was to me I, something I had to keep secret away from them or, or maybe joke about every once in a while with my guys from my, my friends from school. Um, and it, and it brought a, a um, introduced into my life a, a powerful uh, root of shame that lasted long into my, my 20s and 30s and, 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 and even into our marriage, you know, a process of dismantling shame by um, becoming you know, really comfortable with, with sex. And, and so <clears throat> when, so I, I already mentioned I'm 40. So if you do the math, when I was about 11 or 12, uh, I was hitting puberty the same time the internet hit every house. And no one prepared us for this. And we couldn't have been prepared for it. And so uh, Vince was there. He knows all of my dirty secrets. But no, like, he was, they, were the, they lived in the same city. He was He wasn't there. in the room, but I... Be- <laughs> <laughs> But it was, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're having fun now. So, um, yeah, me and, and all of my friends, we discovered that, that with a few clicks of a button, our Pentium processor and dial-up modem would go, free, free, beep, beep, beep. And within, you know, seven minutes, there would be one. <laughs> It'd be like, well, line, line, line. You're like, oh, it's getting good, line. And you're waiting there for seven minutes for a picture of a naked women, woman to download on your computer. And Hoping to God your parents don't get home before it downloads. And instant shame. 
You know, instant regret, instant like, I'm, I'm dirty, I'm perverted, what is wrong with me? I'm the only one like this, because no one's talking about it, because no one knew that we were supposed to yet. The church had no guardrails or training, it just, it just happened. And so uh, I grew up um, constantly fighting that thing and would have seasons of, of great victory. I loved the Lord, I, I worshiped, I knew the Holy Spirit through my teen years, and so there'd be seasons of good and seasons of not so good. And, um, but what was more detrimental than any kind of sin? Because we know that God isn't a cosmic rule keeper. What was actually detrimental was the shame that came in afterwards that kept me in a place of hiding. Um, that's the thing that, that really damages. We have a phrase that we like to say, um, if you can't talk about it, it owns you. And so it's super important to bring something to the light and find safe places where you can talk about it or at least uh, uh, confess it. Because um, here's the thing. Being attracted is not a sin. Attraction does not rule your life. Um, being aroused is not a sin. But arousal doesn't rule your life. It's, it's, again, it goes back to stewardship. It's what you do in that moment when those things happen to you. You can choose to continue and pursue that route, or you can choose to, to, to avert yourself. Um, so going back to kind of raising kids in this day and age, because good Lord, that was, <laughs> that was how many years? That was so many years ago. And it was like 30 years ago, and now it is so readily available on every device. I'm having to put safeguards on, like, my kid's Nintendo yeah. password. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, you can find it anywhere. Yeah, children's shows, for, uh, like little YouTube. kids, are pushing you, a, an agenda. Oh, yeah. we were Our kids were watching one of their favorite shows they've watched. It's this, like, Jurassic Park show on Netflix. They've been watching it for five seasons. Yeah, their Camp favorite Cretaceous. show. And yeah. then all of a sudden, fifth season, one character begins to talk about their same-sex feelings for another character on the show. And just, I mean, and I was, my kids had to mourn the fact that, I mean, something kind of got taken from them. You know, more and more of us were being forced into this conversation that, you know, A, we're not ready for, we feel somewhat unequipped for, because no one talked to us about how to have this conversation about the, what's going on in the world to young, young kids who are, it's being introduced to them earlier and earlier. And we're going to get into talking about that too. But um, there's this thing called the law of first mention. And that means that the second time that I hear something, I always compare it to the first thing that I heard. So it, and you the, can, the first thing has more weight. Has, it's the foundation of what you believe. So well, it, it's, it's, well, the second time you hear something, it's the first chance you have for comparison. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I come from a family that uh, is atheist, and all I keep hearing is, like, God's not real, God's not real, then someone tells me, God loves you, suddenly I'm like, oh, I have to compare that to what I already know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, every, every night... I tell my three daughters that they are smart, kind, and beautiful in, in different ways. I use different adjectives. I've done it since they could understand English um, because I know that someday someone's going to say the opposite and they're going to know that their father's voice carries more weight. They're going to know who they already are. And the same thing goes uh, for sex and sexuality is uh, when you start telling your kids what God's design for sex is and who, what, who, who they are, their identity in Christ... That becomes the foundation that when somebody else enters in something that's that's opposite from that, 
or suggest something to them, the thing that they compare it to is the truth that they've gotten their entire lives. But that has to happen through many conversations. A sex talk is not just one talk, it is many conversations. It's creating a culture in your home that says that this is a safe place to have these conversations. But we do that not just by having sex talks, we do that by actually engaging with our kids on the things that are important to them. Why? So much of what I want to talk about regarding sex, even in our marriages, starts so much earlier and is cultivated in a place of heart connection with our kids. Mm -hmm. Because if we can help them feel safe talking about the things that they care about, actually stopping, putting down your phone. I have this, I have this kind of thing that I like to do is that as soon as I hear one of my kids walking in the room, I immediately put down my phone and look at them so they understand that they're the most important thing in that moment. Doesn't mean I'm not on my phone. It means that when they come near me, my phone goes down and I look them straight in the eye. Um, and that's just a little thing that I decided to do. But <clears throat> it also goes into when they want to have a conversation that's like, um, and then, and there was a dolphin. And they, you know, I mean, like me engaging in this story that can go on and on and on is them learning that this is a space where we both are involved. Mm -hmm. It's not just about that moment when I want to sit down with you and I want to talk about sex. It is, it is the cultivation. And sex talks can look different through different ages. Obviously, you're not going to go to your three-year-old with the keys to, or my five-year-old and just completely open up, well, this is what sex is. But um, let's say you have a three- or four-year-old. Um, I've seen it said that um, going and planting a seed, like teaching a kid about uh, gardening, is a, very is a first sex talk. It's understanding like you plant a seed, a seed grows into, you have a garden, you water it, that kind of a thing. That's a sex talk. I've had a, a child in the bathtub who's touching themselves, and in that moment, rather than saying, like, don't do that, you know, stop it. Because I don't want them to associate something about them that they cannot get rid of with being bad. Mm -hmm. They cannot disconnect themselves from a part of their body. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, my question to them is, does that feel good? Yeah, it feels that way for everybody. <gasps> oh, curiosity satisfied. Now suddenly we're all doing something else. I'm and it, not usually, it usually also takes away some of the novelty of it when you normalize it. When you say, it's, that's how it feels for everyone. Like God designed you just like that. He designed us all like that. Because it's not sexual. It's about curiosity. It and just feels good because they're a kid that mm -hmm. discovered this wonderful part of their body. Yeah, touching there is different than touching my ear. You know, it's they're learning something about themselves. Mm -hmm. And so then you move on. And as you get older, you begin to look for opportunities where you can engage in pieces of this conversation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, well, we had a, we had a baby... Yes. Two years ago. And as soon as the kids found that I was pregnant, one of them's like, so how did this happen? And we, and, had, we had explained it in very, uh -huh, you know, through different, and, kid like and, terms. Uh -huh, and we'd, we'd at tell one that point. We, Alexis was there. We, <laughs> Alexis, Alexis was, there. was there the day that our kids found out we were having another baby. And, and one of them was very cheeky. She was like, how did this happen? And I was like, well, daddy had a dream where an angel gave, you know, because I was telling like the prophetic history. And she's like, no, no, no. How did this happen? <laughs> 
And I was like, well, and I started to kind of give her the, you know, information about it. And suddenly I'm re realizing, okay, we need, we, have to, we need to do this again with all the kids. Because we've done, we've talked about various levels of sex and what happens in sex with our kids. But at this point, they were all, all old enough where we were worried about the trickle down, where one of them talks to the other one. And sometimes they forget things about sex and they have to be told certain things again. Um, which like, is what this situation was. Yes, which is what this situation was. So we re-explained the mechanics yes. of sex. And then our daughter was like, is this why your door is locked sometimes when we come to your room? I was like, <laughs> sometimes we're napping. <laughs> and, you know, then there's sometimes where Jeremy's sitting having a conversation with my son who's been talking to my daughter because, what was it, he, was, he had kind of forgotten what had been said about sex, and so he was like so... You pee inside the vagina. And we were yeah. like, Oh, no, no. no. It was, I was tucking him into bed at night, and he said, So you peed in mom's vagina? Like, no. <laughs> and in well, those moments, again, those all happened because we've cultivated them being having the freedom to ask that without us going, Oh, God. You know, even if in that moment you're so cringy that you're like, Oh, I want to die. But no, you it was smile, awesome. I'm going to be calm about this. And it gets easier to have these conversations when you just smile. Fake it till you make it, people. If you're calm, they're calm. Because they can feel if you tense up about this subject. Kids can feel that, just like animals. And <laughs> Well, and, and at that point, I, he was old enough. I had to begin to describe to him, you know, the, the process of, like, ejaculation. Like, he was old enough to be and asking also, also that question. And also preparing him for the fact that, like, this is going to happen to you at some point in the next few years. Yeah. So he's not suddenly caught off guard, you know, when he has an ejaculation. Mm -hmm. And what I love about this conversation and a tool that I can give you guys to use with your kids is when you answer their question... Um, to, to, to give them the power to be able to go further in that conversation, I usually will ask this question. Do you want to know more? That gives them the freedom to be able to make the decision if I am ready for more. But a lot of times my kids will go, no, squirrel. You know, I mean, they're done with that part of the conversation. But I am respecting the ability that they have to, to consume that information in that moment. So I'm not overloading them with unnecessary facts. That's good, babe. Yeah. Now what? Okay. <laughs> um, that's how you give a sex talk. Um, sexuality in tweens, teens. <clears throat> well, we haven't gotten there yet. No, I'm kidding. We, I mean, we haven't. We, we have a preteen. Um, by the time, around, around seven or eight, I, I started having the conversation with him. I think we were in the car. We were in one of those moments where you could tell his heart was open, mine was open. We were having a really great exchange. And I think there was a billboard or something that showed up um, on one of the, the billboards, and it was a, you know, probably a really sexy woman. And um, it just, I, I saw the, the opening opportunity. I said, hey, buddy. There may come a time, actually, most likely there will come a time where you're going to see photos, you're going to see pictures of women that are naked or pictures that um, you didn't really look for or want to see. And he's like, why? And so then we get into talking about how sometimes people with broken hearts who don't know love try to experience love in different ways. And, and, and that, again, he, it's, he's leading the conversation. I instigated the conversation, but he began to have the, the opportunity to ask questions. 
the same thing happened when, you know, we, our, we, I, Holy Spirit sent me into our kid, out to where our kids were watching the TV show, the new season of their favorite TV show. And I walked in right at the moment a conversation was happening. And I didn't freak out because it's not the first time we've, we've had to have this conversation with my kids. They were watching a reality baking show and two guys were kissing and they were like, what is that? And we're like, well, I guess we're going to have this conversation now. Um, and, and kids are so smart. They're so smart. And they ask amazing questions. And if we can look for opportunities to give them a space to ask those questions safely, it, it's creating a history for when you have teens and tweens that you become a source for information that's safe and questions that they don't know where to ask anywhere else. Yeah. That's part of the reason we like to talk about this in church. Again, not because we're experts in it, but just by the fact that he, that Jeremy and I are talking about this, everyone in this room, even, even the people that saw the slide up that, that aren't in this room right now, they know this is a place where if I am struggling in this place, in this, with this issue, this is a place I can go and I can talk about it. And I'm not going to meet judgment. I'm not going to meet somebody being harsh with me or trying to give me, you know, steps to, you know, grit and bear it through. These are people that are going to receive me in the place that I'm at. And there's, there's a freedom to explore freedom. Yeah. yeah. Every, every day I'd, we would drive the kids south on 35 to school. They go to Upper Room Academy. And there's a, a, a billboard adver- advertising a strip club and with three scantily clad women on it. And I was like, oh. I mean, every single day we're driving by it. And so my kids are seeing it. And, and of course, they eventually like ask a question, um, like, why is that there? Why aren't they wearing enough clothes, Dad? And, and I said, um, those girls probably didn't have a dad who told them that they're royalty, so they never knew that they're supposed to be royalty and, and act like royalty. They didn't know that they're princesses, and and they they were they felt so sad. They felt compassion, and so it, every day we started praying for those three women on that billboard. Yeah. Somewhere out well, there, I'm believing they're already really, saved. This really important. <laughs> That's. Instead of ignoring it, I made a point every day, because whether we were driving to or it was mostly from school and we were driving home, whenever I saw that billboard, I didn't ignore it. I was purposeful to start praying. Even if I wasn't praying out loud, they'd be like, Mom, are you praying for those girls? Yes, I am. (laughs) Because I wanted them to know how loved they are and that we don't just ignore it. I'm not treating it with silence. You also weren't creating judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, love is really good at doing jujitsu with the enemy. So, like, the enemy comes in all forceful at Jesus. Like, all of death is throwing all of its might at Jesus, and Jesus just, like, receives it and goes into the grave with death. You know how jujitsu uses the force of your enemy against them? <laughs> Anybody? So, like, if they throw a punch, jujitsu, you're supposed to just pull the arm so they fall. And so uh, the reason I bring that up is because when the enemy is throwing lust at, at us, so like I, I tell this to young men all the time, you see a, a really beautiful woman, uh, 
you can easily go one direction in your mind or, or another. And, and I propose to you that when you see a, a beautiful woman that awaken, start, begins to awaken something in you, begin to praise God that he manifested his glory on the earth through the beauty of that woman. Begin to praise God that he made women beautiful in general. Begin to just start worshiping a God who would create such a spectacular creature. Like, and it's using what the enemy meant for, for lust and turning it into praise. And it begins to train your soul to react that way. Which again, attraction is not a sin. Arousal is not a sin. The way that we, we steward that moment because the thing is, I, I can be watching a movie or a TV show and everything's totally fine and suddenly, boom, sex scene. You're aroused in that moment. It is your choice whether you want to continue down that road or make a different choice. Mm-hmm. I, I was talking to a group of young women the other day who were ta- or, or, or a while back, actually, and they were asking me, like, they were all single, and they're like, what do I do with the fact that I am getting, you know, I'm in my 20s, I really want to have sex, and I'm getting aroused by different things. I was like, well, number one, thank God. Let's just praise the Lord that you're, you're experiencing that. If you were tr- not experiencing any arousal, we would actually have a problem here. We'd say, okay, we have a completely different set of issues that we have to go back and unearth. Right now, thank the Lord, your body's working the way it was meant to. But now, what do we do? What do we steward? If we recognize that we're reading a book series that creates that, because women, that's what we do. We read books. If you're reading a book series or watching a TV show that brings that up in you, you have a choice in that moment to continue to entertain it or to choose something else. Yeah. There's some things you just don't watch, right? Um, When I was uh, going back to like the teen years and, and struggling to keep pure, um, and not having many uh, tools uh, at my disposal for, for, for walking that kind of path. I discovered this verse in, uh, in um, Colossians that said, uh, you know, these people have a, it's talking about asceticism. With rules, I say, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. And these rules have an appearance in wi- of wisdom with their self-imposed asceticism, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And so what that meant to me is that the, the more I focused on the problem and the more rules I began to throw at it, the more I was actually empowering that thing. Instead of inviting the Lord into it and creating an open dialogue with Jesus, I, in my own strength, was trying to avoid every single thing that could possibly lead me into uh, down a path of lust. And Psalm 119 says, "'How can a young man keep his way pure? "'By keeping it according to your word, O Lord.'" And um, what the word says to me, what scripture says to me is that when we confess our sins to one another, like we we're walking in the light, he is faithful to obviously forgive us, but also cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I had a, a few guy friends in my youth group. Uh, we started meeting very regularly, uh, praying, praying for a revival in our town, praying for one another, and we also began confessing our sins to one another. And it wasn't like an immediate fix, but what it did, it slowly began to kill shame and inviting, in, actually invited joy into that process with with one another, where we were praying for one another, and and uh, over a period of time, we began to ex- actually experience real victory, where. Um, 
you know, some of the things that we were bound in before were now a laughing matter. Um, and again, what you're cultivating now with your young kids will transfer into their teenage years. It's not too late if they're teens, but it, it involves approaching these conversations where um, you're disappointed in your kids with, 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 with grace and with love. Um, my, my daughters and I, we, we will sit around at bedtime, we'll just talk and talk and talk, and, you know, randomly things will come up about, you know, as they come to their mind. I think I was, might have been pregnant with Shiloh at the time, and one of my girls is like, okay, so I've been, I've been thinking about it, and um, that baby's not going to fit out of your vagina. It's going to have to come out of your butt. But I mean, this, these, are the com these are the girl talk we're having before bed. And in that moment, all I can think is, praise God. My kids feel like, like right now at seven or eight years old, they feel comfortable enough to have this conversation when they're 16, 17, 18. Mm -hmm. How beautiful to be able to grow in that conversation with them. Um, anyway, let's move on. Um, okay, honey, is sex important in marriage? Uh, yes, yeah, I think it is. Um, <laughs> you know, doctors say that it's supposed to be like five times a week. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you guys have all been in those meetings when, like, you know, doctors say, <laughs> and all the guys are like, yes! <laughs> no, it's, it's uh, incredibly important. You know what? When shame entered the world, people put on clothes. And so when we celebrate the end of shame, we take off our clothes together, right? Wow. Right? In, in the bedroom. And <laughs> it's spiritual warfare. It's reconnecting. It, it creates is, a hedge of protection around your marriage. It's worship. It's worship to the Lord it that we're, mm -hmm. we're enjoying the bodies that he gave us in covenant together. And it's one of the most vulnerable experiences that a person can have. It's incredibly vulnerable. I, I mm, it is, it is, it is, it is vulnerable positionally. It is vulnerable emotionally to 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 have to learn how to communicate. Communicate what you need sexually is so scary and so vulnerable. But within that, there's so much that happens. To, to knit hearts together. It's not just a physical act. It is a heart knitting. It is, it is a good soul tie, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the two become one. And that's um, way more than just physical. There are uh, mysterious uh, spiritual and, and soul level things that happen when a husband and wife come together. Um, but we have... We've, we've counseled quite a bit in this area because we're some of the only people that love to talk about it. But um, a, there have been many times where we have counseled people who maybe they, they had sex before they got married and then they're like, oh, we're going to stop. We're going to please God. And then they get married and suddenly it's, it's not fireworks anymore. Yeah. And um, I don't want to blame this entirely on purity culture, but there's a lot. There's been a lot of damage done by purity culture, and so we and just and that kind of goes into the teen thing a little bit too. Yeah. So, for instance, it really bums me out that when uh, when girls' bodies begin to change, many times in the church they're sat down and given a talk something like this. 
your body is a stumbling block to the men, you know, in the church. Like, you're going to have to start covering up more because you're leading people into sin by the way that you look. And I know that's a really extreme version of it, but even a, even a watered down or slightly more tactful version of that just like horrible conversation still reaps the same kinds of negative effects. That my body is actually something that is dangerous, like, and causing, like, and it, it also, it also promotes the message that men are animals and we can't control ourselves. And like, if there's just, you know, a beautiful woman in the room, then, you know, we just instantly go to a place of, you know, hormone overdriven and sin and lust. And, and both those messages are detrimental to, to women and to, to men. It removes the nobility of a man's strength to actually walk in God-given self-control. And, and while we say that, that we've seen a lot of people that have been wounded by that, you know, I'm still the person at the youth conference saying, you know, except but what you're wearing, you, you, you catch what you fish for. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if you dress a certain way, you're going to catch a certain kind of fish. Anybody fisherman? I'm not a fisherman, but I've heard that different types of bait catch different types of fish. Yeah. And so while we want to obviously wear things that are, that are honoring, you know, the body that we gave, uh, that God gave us, um, there still has been so much that we have uh, walked with women who have been told that. They've been told that their bodies are a problem. Yeah, and I, and I know that obviously uh, there are plenty of times when uh, a young girl just needs to be helped by an older woman, or a mother, you know, or a mother needs to have a conversation like, "Hey, your body's changing," and it's just nope. It's noble and and right in the eyes, you know, to to cover up more. But it, you know, it doesn't have to be in this shameful kind of way where instantly girls think that their their curves are sent from from hell, you know. <laughs> and what that actually causes is when. When, when women believe that and they shut down all that stuff and they think it's their job to keep men from stumbling, when they finally do get into marriage, we've seen many, many women can't enjoy sex. They've, they've spent decades shutting that down and thinking that it's horrible and to avo- be avoided and dangerous that when it comes time to actually flip the switch, and th- they can't. It's not there anymore. Well, there's too much uh, deprogramming that has to happen to understand the beauty of, of how God made us and the enjoyment and the pleasure. You've heard so long that it's bad, 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 and then suddenly it, has, it takes time to rewire and retrain the brain into understanding the goodness of our good God, his, his purpose of pleasure. Um, so we've had a lot of these conversations. I've said it, said it, said it. Um, I will tell you this, that nine out of 10 times when I am talking about a sex issue with someone, a married person, um, it has nothing to do with the act of sex. And nine times out of 10, it can be linked back to something that is uh, a heart thing. Um, And so that's why we want to kind of speak a little bit about some some basics, relational basics, because they do affect what happens in the bedroom. Um, first and foremost, uh, this, there's this word that I really, really, really love that I don't think gets put out there enough, but uh, the word is cherish. It is almost sadly rare to find spouses who truly cherish one another. 
that are really about loving, unconditionally loving that other person. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but um, I said as polls and studies have shown that uh, women desire unconditional love and men desire unconditional respect. And a lot of times we withhold one or the other until we get what it is that we feel like we need. Which, if you guys can come with me here, it can cause issues when you're trying to connect sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, we need people. We need people who can speak into our lives. You, like I said, this is we're trying to create a safe place here um, and safe people so that people can have safe people. Um, but you need people outside. This isn't even about sex. This is about your relationship. You need safe people outside of your marriage, one or two people, who are able to tell you when you're wrong <laughs> and who are safe for you to, to, to lay your burdens and your confession, the, the, the ugly parts of who you are. Um, and that goes with boundaries. Uh, I could do a whole diagram of boundaries, but that person should not be your mom. <laughs> that person should not be a, a, a close family member who's super invested in when you're really angry with your spouse because you'll get better and then they'll stay mad. <laughs> they'll, they'll take on your offense and carry it sometimes longer than you do. <laughs> and, and so, again, cultivating those relationships um, for just your, your day-in, day-out relationship, remember I'm talking about the parenting relationship, the dating romantic relationship, then, then to have people that even you can confess about sexual things or talk about sexual things with, that starts by finding safe people that you can talk to about the other things. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not your children. <laughs> yeah, I, I have incredible um friendships with men where we've talked we've dove into this topic plenty of times about um sex and and um when i'm talking to a a man heading into marriage um it we're we're talking about purity and and sex and intimacy but on a guy-to-guy level it's fine let's it's appropriate in those moments to actually give them pointers and tell them how how it works and and it's it's incredibly fruitful to have really close relationships like that where they where you can bounce ideas off one another you can dismantle shame you, you know talk about what's not working or why it's not working you can actually I have those kinds of friendships, and it's, it's really holy. Ta-da! Um, okay, this is kind of this is the order of things. Me and God, the, and this is this is this is the boundary. So boundaries aren't walls; boundaries are spheres. Think of ripples, like in a like in a pond. Um, okay, so me and God are in the very center. The next level is my spouse, not my children, and then my kids. And then family and friends, and then and then and then and then it all all goes out. Um, okay, first, for, <laughs> this is like the 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 world's shortest, quickest uh, version of boundaries. Um, people move in and out of these spheres, coworkers, whatever, um, based upon what they do, not upon what they say. 
So um, their actions speak louder. When, let's say, someone violates the closeness that they have to me and they get moved out a sphere or a few spheres, they get moved back closer and closer by the actions that they perform, not actually by the words that they say, that show the actions that show that they're trustworthy, the actions that, because a lot of times in marriages, there are, there will come a time maybe where trust is broken. So for a season, this will look different. And the way that trust is gained is um, through actions. Um, Okay, we can keep going. Because the, the innermost circles are the people that have the most access to your heart and the treasure that is you. And so um, those people have to treat and know that you are a treasure and treat you as, as such. Otherwise, they get relegated to outer circles because even though you love them, you, you know that you can't continue to allow them that um, intimate place in your life. It would be a violation of... Uh, the the treasure that you are, the Lord wouldn't wouldn't want that for you. And just like ripples in a pond, like we were just talking about, love always flows outward. You never shut that down. But what gets to be close to you, it's yeah. I've already I've talked about that. All right. <laughs> now, how do we show people that we love them? Now, again, this is all leading to sex, so I'm I'm getting there. But um. <laughs> Anybody familiar with the five love languages? How many of you know your spouse's love language? Yeah, good. That's awesome. He's really had to learn it because I am passionate. Um, okay, so let's see. We have acts of service. This is Jeremy's number one love language, so I'm going to start with that one. Um, now that you know it, you're going to have to do stuff for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so most love languages, all that they mean is they mean I know you. It's a love language, but it's a love language that says I know you. So Jeremy is an acts of service love language. You can serve him, but when you serve him in a way that he, something he needs done... Like, I, 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 can, I, can, I can, I don't know, mow the lawn. And, but maybe mowing the lawn, he usually he listens to a podcast, maybe that's something he actually enjoys. That isn't really serving him, but he really, really needs someone to organize his closet. I'm just making all this up as I go. And I go in and I organize his closet. He feels loved because I know what he needs, and I took it off of his plate. Mm-hmm. That's acts of service love language. There is somebody that as soon as they walk into a room... They see everything that needs to be done. And if you can do some of those things that they need done, they can sit down on the inside and you can reach them. Okay, there was a, there was a really fun story where when we were uh, in the midst of having like a gazillion, we had three kids under three. It was a very hectic time. I was not usually showered. And he <laughs> would come home from work and he would put down his bag and all he would see is everything that needed to get done. Cleaned. Everything that needed to get cleaned and tidied up. See, because in my mind, I'm like, it's just going to happen tomorrow. Why are we going to clean it all up? (laughs) Anyway, so I I started, I was a, a, uh, I'm a quality timer. And so quality timers, down there, quality time. Quality timers, they feel loved 
when you sit down and they can vomit the list of everything they want to talk about. <sighs> and then when it's all out there, they feel known, they feel seen, and they can, again, they can sit down on the inside and feel totally loved. So I was a quality timer every day, home alone with three under three, waiting for human contact from someone above the age of three. And Jeremy would come home and immediately he'd start cleaning. So my first thought is, oh my gosh, he thinks I'm a bad wife. The first thing he does is start to clean because he's judging me. And so I'm getting mad and huffy because I'm sitting on the couch like, all I want to do is come over and talk to me. But Jeremy's like, ah, I can help. I can fix it. I can clean it all up. And so he'd immediately start cleaning. And so I, I read a book on love languages and suddenly it hit me, okay, I can't clean the whole house, but maybe if I just clean the area around the back door, the kitchen area where he comes in to the house, maybe that'll work. So one day I went around, I made sure that when he got home, the house wasn't clean, but the kitchen right where he walked in was clean. And, he, and I went and I sat down on the couch when I knew he was there. He came in, he set his bag down and he walked over and he sat on the couch with me and I was like, oh! <laughs> I worked the system, y'all. <laughs> Makes us all sound so simple. It does. <laughs> uh, okay, words. Thank you. Okay, so gifts. Gifts love language gets a bad rap, in my opinion, mostly because I am one of those. And because um, that's one of my top two is quality time and gifts. Now, gifts doesn't mean that you need like an Hermes handbag. It means that you know, if somebody brings home something that you like, they know the difference between a yellow rose and a hydrangea of what you enjoy, that says to you, I know you. I like Kit Kats. Jeremy will bring me a Kit Kat home and he'll put it in the fridge for me because he knows I like to eat them cold. That's a really big deal. It's a little bitty thing. That's, so a gift love language feels seen when you get something. It means that when you were gone, you were thinking of them. Um, physical touch. Physical touch is like, it's like a meter that goes up and down. So when a physical touch person gets touched, there's a difference between pouring in touch and taking out touch. Remember, remember when I had three kids under three? My physical touch meter was low because although I was loving my kids and I had sweet little people all around me all day, their touch was taking from me, mm -hmm. not pouring into me. And so in that time, what I really needed was hugs. Like just non-sexual hugs. Yeah. Yeah. My girl. And, and affection. Um, same, like let's say you have a job like you're a masseuse. You spend the entire day touching people. Maybe you're a physical touch person, it's but you're giving out. it away. And so what needs to be given back, it needs to be poured back in. A lot of men are physical touch. They feel loved. <laughs> when you touch them in all kinds of ways. And so just so you know, it is, it's, yeah, okay, they feel seen. Um, last one is words. Words of affirmation are a lot like physical touch. It's, it can go both ways. With a words affirmation person, they, one negative comment will take like seven to 10 Positive comments just to like... 700 positive comments sometimes. <laughs> just to negate what was said that was negative. Yeah. They, they feel seen and known, not just when they're told, you're awesome, but when you see something about them and you can call it out. 
So why do I go into all that? Because knowing which one of these your spouse is, which one of these your person, your person is, even your children, can, is a way to connect. If there has been disconnection, or maybe you've just, it's been a, a hectic season of life, these are tools and tricks to be able to connect to your person mm -hmm. that lead into the fun stuff. Um, now, something that I had to learn about being a gifts love language is that Jeremy needs a list because contrary to popular belief, he can't read my mind. Mm -hmm. He can't read your mind. <laughs> And trust me when I say, it doesn't make you feel less loved to tell someone what you need and have them do it. And that's something that I learned. Giving him a little list for my birthday or for Christmas, because as a gifts love language, those are big ones, doesn't make me feel less loved when he gets something on the gift on the list. Yeah. For some reason, though, I thought that it made it, it like de-romanticized it. If she just told me everything that I want and I just got her everything that she wanted without me being creative and thinking of something to give her. But every time I tried to be creative and gave her something that I thought she didn't like it. And so <laughs> That's not true. Every, every time, he always gives a fun gift. He always ends up giving me a thoughtful, fun gift and it ends up being one of my favorite things. But... All the, I, well, I remember getting you flowers several times. This is how much oh. of a gift loving. So I'd get her flowers, you know, when we were dating and newlywed. And eventually she was like, okay, if you're going to keep giving me flowers, let me tell you the flowers that I like. <laughs> and I was just like. <laughs> I was a florist for a while, in my defense. So, but we give you that example for you to know that it, it communication doesn't, again, de-romanticize the situation. Talk about it. Gently explain if there is something happening that you do not like, like the flowers, or because that gives you practice for having conversations maybe sexually about things that you're like, oh, I don't like that, but I don't know how to tell them I don't like that. Or to say what you need or you want. That, again, there is so much ego <laughs> tied up in being able to communicate our sexual needs. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, when you're talking to a man, there is so much culturally put into a man to have to understand, like, if you are not a god in this area on day one, then you are not a man. You are less of a man. A real man knows how to do this right off the bat. Mm. You know, and, and same for women. Women, a lot of times, it is difficult it is, it is more difficult, typically, for a woman to have an orgasm than it is for a man. And so there, there can be a season of learning, of the learning curve, where women can feel shame over not being able to respond rightly to their partner. It is such a journey of vulnerability. Yeah. And then that's, that's if you aren't even imprinted with things that are shameful from your past, from previous relationships. This is part of the reason that, that sex outside of marriage can be so detrimental because suddenly, like we talked about the law of first mention, there is suddenly a comparison thing that goes on. Yeah. Or you can be mistreated by a, a boyfriend and it can cause all sorts of, of problems in, in marriage. Or you could have had trauma yeah. from childhood or from growing up. Sexual trauma could, again, it adds to the layers that you're having to work through because, again, it's a sexual relationship. 
you may have talked about those things you know, in your marriage, talked about people that you were with before, talked about the, the pitfalls of other relationships, but within your marriage relationship, you have to work through those, the emotional things. Why wouldn't it be the same sexually? There is a process of having to, to train your body to respond the way that is always meant to, that God meant for, for your person. So we want to just remove, also talking about this removes the shame of believing that it's just me, that I'm the, I'm the only one that struggles in this area because we have all been there at one time or another. Yeah. Hopefully this is um, instilling confidence Obviously, we want to kill shame. We want to have fun. We want to worship the Lord for creating this wonderful thing of intimacy and sex. But we want to give you confidence that you can have these kinds of conversations with your kids, these kinds of conversations with your with your spouses. And um, this is the the time in the evening we want to open it up to. Well, any... we are going to talk about a couple. Of, I want to talk about okay, more, go ahead. more things. We want to leave time for questions. Is we what do. I was going to say. Okay. Yeah. Um. Uh, I want to talk about pornography real quick. Um, I don't believe that there is any young person who finds pornography, and he said this before, but who finds pornography or sees pornography and thinks, I really hope this leads to an addiction. Or like, you know, a nine-year-old boy who finds, you know, some, sees something and continues to look at it. They're not thinking in that moment, I hope this robs me of my ability to have a, a joyful sexual relationship with my future wife. I mean, Jeremy found, he found a pornographic uh, magazine that was thrown on the side of the road. He and his friends were like just running around outside and they found it, someone had thrown it out. Because um, the devil does not play the fair. The devil doesn't play fair. I, I had a friend whose dad had a stack of Playboys under the bed and... We were, you know, we're curious, we're looking at it, and that's imprinting me on, oh, this is what's sexy. This is what is attractive. Um, I mean, I, I was probably around the same age. I was probably, well, I was probably a little older. But again, the devil is going after young kids. He's going after you guys. He hates that you're an image bearer. He hates the idea of marriage, which is an image of Christ in his church. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to know that wasn't your fault. Even if you as a kid, if you went and you searched out because you were curious, the enemy is a liar. And here's the thing. For people caught in any kind of addiction, they go to it because it's about comfort. Pornography is about finding comfort. Masturbation is about finding comfort. It leads to shame, but a lot of times people that have mapped out their emotional, the, the triggers, the things that get that trigger them into those actions, into pornography or into masturbation, they're things like loneliness. They're things like shame. They're things like regret. Because the way, because pornography lights up the brain the same way drugs do. So when I talk about it being a drug, it's like a drug. And <clears throat> something I learned when I was in my rehab camp a couple months ago for my dad, um, this, they showed us this chart and I found it to be really profound. So this line is us experiencing pleasure. 
okay? And so here are normal things that bring us pleasure. This is playing with my kids, uh, having sex. Um, should go a little higher. <laughs> should go away. Like, it's top way, of the board. Um, do, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like I enjoy cooking. I enjoy going outdoors. Things, things that, that light up the pleasure centers in our brains. Correct? Well, when we experience the effects of a drug, it takes us up here. And it takes us up here. And it, actually, and it actually has to increase over time. But what that does is it takes this pleasure line and it increases it us. It raises the bar. It raises the bar. So you have to have similar experiences. In order to experience pleasure. So now the things that you have always enjoyed no longer bring the same pleasure as the drug does. And it takes time, time for that pleasure, that pleasure line to come back down. So for people who are engaging in pornography, in the beginning, maybe it's just a little bit of enjoyment, a little bit of enjoyment, but said it, it, it has to increase in order to get the same high, the same way a drug does. The intensity of what you're watching, the amount of what's being watched has to increase over time. And, the, and even when you pull it, like completely stop it, sex may not be as enjoyable. Why? Because suddenly you're trying to reset this line. Now that's like really, really broad picture. Pornography is a lot like religion. It's the um, appearance of a relationship without the risk of a real one. Um, and so a lot of times if someone is struggling in pornography, it's often correlated to um, a struggle with religion in their, in their own life. They're, it's essentially the same kind of spirit. All that to say, there's so much grace for walking this out and not having to walk it out perfectly, but choosing, again, if you can't talk about it, it owns you. But choosing to walk in the light with people through this process, because it's a journey to reset this line. It's a journey to, to figure out new forms of comfort. When you, a lot of times, uh, pornography consumption, even masturbation, um, masturbation releases in, uh, chemicals in our body. Like the endorphins that you get from sex, it, it actually, it, it, it releases, like orgasms are meant to release endorphins that make you happy. So of course, experiencing orgasm by yourself is going to make you feel happy. But here it, all, it also releases oxytocin. And oxytocin is a bonding chemical. So the idea is, as we in, not just have sex, but as we both are invested in each other's pleasure to the point of orgasm together, that we each get to experience that, that it actually releases oxytocin, which is bonding us together. It's the same thing released when a, a woman nurses her baby, that bonds mother and child together. So again, if I'm experiencing climax alone again and again and again, oxytocin's being released and I'm getting bonded to myself. So again, all that to say, Having to learn, like when that's become a pattern of comfort or a pattern of experiencing comfort or a trigger during loss, during moments of loneliness, during, during you know, trauma at all, reliving trauma, it takes time 
and grace and people around you that have grace to help you walk out the journey of sobriety. Addiction is easy. Sobriety is a journey. And believing that we can look at someone and say, stop it. Just stop it now. Or just, you know, and some people have been able to cold turkey. You know what I mean? But we just, we want to be a house that walks with people in their journey. Yeah, when when someone's in an addiction um, or just, you know, has some sort of unhealthy pattern of behavior in, in their life, you know, the, the last thing you can tell them or the least helpful thing you can say is, well, have you tried harder not sinning? And they're like, I never thought of that. Try harder not sinning. <laughs> You're such a great pastor. <laughs> now, we, we have to lead people to the source of all pleasure, which is being rightly connected to Jesus, discovering deeper and deeper his incredible love for us, his devotion to us. Um, Can I say this one thing real quick? And then yeah. we're going to open it. We want to yeah, normally... Like when we're, we usually spend two hours talking about this to students and um, afterwards we give them note cards and they're allowed to anonymously write down any question that they have about sex on that note card and we will answer it. So we have been asked all kinds of questions, questions about what's permissible in the bedroom, permission, you know, questions about uh, gadgets, masturbation, props, role play, dirty talk, positions, been asked a lot of those questions and um, we don't have necessarily time to answer everyone's question, but I want to give you guys a general rule. Um, my general rule for whatever bedroom desires you have is, is it bringing connection? Or is it something that's causing distance? Is it becoming a crutch? Is it becoming a crutch for actually learning your spouse's body? Um, there are people that early on in their relationship, I usually tell people, uh, I definitely, um, I don't recommend any of these things early on in your relationship, especially because you are you are learning and you're growing and you're learning someone's body and you're having that's the time when you need you you are getting vulnerable. You don't want to crutch for your vulnerability. Um, I have known people in situations where you know whether it be like medical procedures or um, I knew someone who got pregnant and suddenly like they uh, they couldn't they couldn't experience. Um, an orgasm anymore. And so for that season, they brought a vibrator in. But then they, uh, after the baby was born, everything kind of went back to normal, they took it away. But it was a, the whole point of bringing something into the relationship was so that connection could continue to happen. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And this is between you, your spouse, and the Holy Spirit, so we're not going to give you any do's or don'ts. This isn't a night of permissions or us telling you as your, as your clergy what you can and cannot do. Like, okay. True. But is anyone brave enough to ask questions? Anyone have any, anything we've said kind of spark a question? Donna. Musical says, Donna's known us for a very long time. So, and she loves worship. Yeah. (laughs) So true.
What is lust? Um, it's uh, so like the, Satan can't invent anything. He can only pervert things that God has created, right? And so, lust is a is a perversion of um, what's supposed to be other centered, self giving love within the confines of covenant. And so, lust is, um, you know, we've we've all experienced it. You see something in it, you feel um, love awakened in you before. It so desires. It says this in uh, Song of Solomon, like, don't arouse or awaken love um, before it desires or before its proper timing, essentially. And so, I mean, I'm no medical doctor or expert in, uh, you know, the psychology and brain, but to me, it's when you entertain a line of thinking that continues to um, bring those kinds of inflamed feelings And for, from, uh, as a dude, I can say um, that it's, it's almost like a spiritual electrical jolt. Like, you might not, f- you might not feel something physically, but you feel something uh, at, a, at a soul level that is akin to um, a jolt of a, adrenaline. And, and for guys, um, I know that we're, we're all visual Creatures, we all enjoy beauty, but I know that for guys, we're especially more so, and so um, it, it's it's a lot more detrimental to continue to entertain those things because, as Ashley described, it creates a, an inability to enjoy normal things. Anybody? Yeah. First of all, I'm sorry. That is a really hard line to walk. Yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. Um, I will say I, I grew up in a house that was um, a broken home. And actually, both of my parents were operating in um, sin. outside. They were sexually active outside of marriage. <clears throat> and my mom, when she got married and my stepdad, suddenly they, they found the Lord and they were walking and they were saying things that were not what I'd experienced my entire life. Um, and all I can say to you is truth and love. And the kids will figure it out. I figured out what truth was, but you, here's the thing about, about kids, especially when they're in two houses. They get the honor of going on that journey. It's not what you would have wanted for them, but you have to believe that God loves your kids and that every bit of this journey that they're on is going to benefit them and praying into it that way, that whatever confusion comes, whatever overcoming they have to overcome at an earlier age than maybe you had to, they're going to be stronger for it. I'm stronger for the things that I overcame at a young age that I had to that um, are now victories in my life now. I think vulnerability wins also. 
So as, uh, as a mom, what you're communicating to us right now is that it scares you. Like it scares you that they're over there and out of your control and the things they might hear or see are things that you don't want them to hear or see. Well, when your kids are old enough to have that kind of conversation, um, you can be vulnerable and say, I want to tell you something that scares mommy, you know, something that I'm afraid of. When I walked in on my kids watching the show that they love, I didn't immediately turn it off. I let them finish the episode because what was done was done. I didn't want to react in fear. I didn't want to freak out on them and be like, we're never, Netflix is gone. We're never watching anything again. You're losing everything you love. Um, I gave it a day to pray on it. You know, after that episode, I was like, do you guys mind, you know, so they, they, I came in, I was like, guys, what's going on? And they told me and they, they turned it off. They made that choice. But I prayed about it, and the next day, I, went, I, I started this conversation, you know, sat them down, and I was like, guys, that scared me yesterday. It, and, and I talked to them the way I would talk to Jeremy. I said, I, I, felt, I felt out of control. I felt like someone took control away from me as a parent. I said, it, it felt like you've been watching this show. You've earned trust with this show. It, I, and I told, we told them, I said, it's as if you have a friend that's been coming over to our house for a while, and then one day you find out that they've been hurting your little brother. Or they yeah, hurt two-year-old Shiloh, little or two-year-old, Shiloh. You know, they hurt, hurt him. And, but and like the, the you've been baby. inviting them in. Yeah. And they were like, oh. And that was just wisdom in the moment because God will give you the words to say, but just telling them. And even, I even, they're old enough now that I was like, you guys, I wanted to cancel everything. I wanted to cancel Netflix. I wanted to write a letter, a very strongly worded letter. And, <laughs> you know, and they're just kind of talking to me. And I said, this is going to, sadly, this is going to keep happening. You're going to see things and I'm not going to be there. And which led into a really great conversation where I was like, have you guys ever seen anything? Have you, have you guys ever pulled up YouTube and there been something? Because YouTube, oh my Lord, YouTube. Um, has there ever been anything you've seen? And one of them was like, I saw a bra commercial once. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, and they're just, and, and so they're, they're like, they're like, I have a story and I have a story. But I was, I went in low and vulnerable and honoring the fact that they're in a journey and they're going to see things that, I mean, honestly, our kids are going to see things that are out of our control. We saw things that were out of our parents' control. Teaching them how to deal with those situations is more important than even... Protecting them from it because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And they may say something to their, you know, to their dad, like, you know, mom says what you're doing is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And he may call and be like, what are you telling? It's like, well, that's what I believe. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, okay. Bless you, love you, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you are 100% responsible for you. You cannot control anyone else. I cannot control my kids. I can only control myself and how I react in that moment. Mm-hmm. Good question. Any other questions? That's a good question. Yeah. It's on here. It's on here. Okay. So, I mean, and they're asking questions. 
mm-hmm. like your old fashioned or mm-hmm. you know, you have same sex, you have transgenderism, yeah. you have all this perversion. And how are we to address that? Because I'll give an example. Hillsong had a worship leader for four years. It was in the same sex relationship. Yeah. When they discovered it and they asked that person to leave, they were upset because the church never addressed it. Mm. Um, never publicly ever spoke about those kind of relationships. So how do we just deal with this? How do we as parents na- you know, better navigate that in the, both the church community and in the general community because we're coming under attack? Yeah. I'd say that it, we've talked a lot about tonight about how it starts early. And being the first ones, sadly, to have, to have that conversation. We got pushed into that conversation, but then um, quickly, very quickly took ownership of it. Mm-hmm. Um, at six years old. It's, yeah, six at six years old. old, we've had to explain to you know, our kids um, that God created a man and a woman to, to be together. And if you look at just creation order, that is, that is the process of, of reproduction. That's the joy that he's given us and and so for anything anything other than that is is robbing you of the fullness of life that God wants you to have and it's not even about obeying his rules it is about how when you when you don't live this way you are stepping outside of um, actually his ability to bless you in all the ways that he wants to like in, and it takes you out of the realm of being able to um, live a, a full, joyful life. And a lot of times what we've found is that people struggling with same-sex attraction, again, I'll go back to saying attraction is not a sin. Um, attraction, uh, acting upon that attraction can become a sin. Um, you may experience same-sex attraction. You are not governed by your attraction. If you feel that you have to be governed by your attraction as a single person, that means that when you're married, you're governed by attraction. Just because I'm married doesn't mean that I don't notice that someone is attractive or have attraction. You can be attracted to someone emotionally. You can be attracted to to someone physically. It is what you do with that attraction that then becomes whether or not it is a sin. And so the issue, I have have two younger sisters who are Gen Z to the max. They don't know the Lord. They're 21, 23 years old, and they... um, you know, I remember the day that my um, my little sister found out that, you know, oh, my God, you don't believe that gay people should be gay. And I'm like, no. It, <laughs> she was hurt, appalled. She looked at us like we were racists. Mm-hmm. And this is what I said to her. <laughs> I said, what kills my heart is that when someone begins to express this attraction or, 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 um, or even things that are, that are even more they, them, the pronoun, all the different, I mean, things that you can be attracted to these days. I said, what kills me is that nobody cares enough to go further and ask what's going on in your heart that's deeper. There you go. Because the truth is, that's, that's just this big, you know, flag, this dragon that's kind of like, you know, it, what happened is somebody experienced same-sex attraction. When they finally were, found someone they could talk to it about, or, you know, a safe, they couldn't find a safe place unless it was someone who completely agreed with that same-sex attraction. 
before actually being able to say what's going on deeper because you start to realize oh that's the biggest shame I'm in the church I can't talk about that here so I'm going to carry my shame it's not going to come into the light because someone might judge me or they might throw me out I might be you know my parents might or the things that come in and so eventually what happens is that shame gets so difficult to hide that that person begins to take it and say you know what it's easier just to hold this as my identity this is just who I am they, and they find, they find somebody that's going to affirm, a, they, because we're all looking for a safe place. We are all looking for a safe place. For No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what, just trying to parent children through this process. How do you, who do you talk to when, when you're talking about your child who is struggling with pornography? There's shame in even like admitting the fact that, you know, my child is struggling this area. My child is struggling with masturbation. And we don't have people to, to talk about this stuff with. And so it, it's more than just having a conversation and negating what's being yelled at them. It is about cultivating cultures within our own homes that, that are so open that even if your child is struggling with that, they're met with so much love and grace and, and, and wanting to walk that journey out with them and saying, hey... I, I want to know what's going on deeper in your heart. I want to know the experience, the things that happened that led to this realization or this attraction, um, rather than treating them like they're totally broken, but actually looking at their hearts on a deeper level. I believe if more homosexuals, more bisexuals were met with people that actually wanted to hear about their hearts, they would have, have different ends to those stories. And Gen Z in general is a generation, and Alexis can speak to this. They just like they, they want to be taken serious. They want to they want to be so taken seriously, and and to actually be someone who's not willing to bark at them like you're wrong. You guys are just mm -hmm. so stupid. But actually creating a relationship with them where they get to talk to. It love the thing that I've learned about love over the years is that. Um, it's a slow burn. It's not as it's not as religion is actually easier because it's so easy to say this is black, this is white. Yeah. It's so easier to be like stop that or try harder and 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 move on to the next thing. Love costs something. Yeah. It, it it is it is that slow burn of showing up again and again. And if if you have a teenager, you have a Gen Zer that that is screaming their pronouns at the top of their lungs, love wins in the end. And continue, yeah. you know, they may have to go on a journey, but again, rather than approaching things, if when we get angry or we get upset or we get triggered, it means that we're scared. That as the parent, that as the authority, we're scared. And choosing to combat that fear by, by choosing love and choosing to walk, it, 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 it may be a longer journey, but we're mm -hmm. honoring the fact that that person gets to go through their journey and come out with their testimony. Yeah. Hey, Alexis, if I, if I told you, um, if, or if you found out that I only like to hang out with you because I'm trying to fix you, because I'm trying to change you, how would that make you feel? Would you want to hang out with me anymore? You'd be angry, <laughs> but, but you know that I actually, I just enjoy being around you. I'm not trying to change you see that's called love is patient and so like obviously we want people to be leading right lives 
in the Lord, but my goal isn't to change Alexis. I just love being around him. And that is actually the kind of love that changes people. A love that doesn't change based on your behavior is the only kind of love that has the power to change your behavior. Say it again. <laughs> a, love that doesn't, a love that doesn't change based on your behavior is the only kind of love that has the power to change your behavior. And so, like, I'm not trying to change people. I'm trying to enjoy it. And, and in fact, I, I want people from all, all walks of life, anyone who is deceived by anything, I want them to know that they can come and worship in here. And, and, and I'm not trying to change them in, the, in that moment. I want them to know that they belong, that they're going to receive love. And like she said, it's the slow burn. I'm much more interested in people connecting with Jesus regardless of what they do with their genitals on the weekend. Yes. So good. And I think that the enemy is trying to politicize it where you make these bold, broad statements. I had a friend ask me, you know, what church to go to, a new friend. And she was like, well, how do they feel about gay marriage? And I'm like, well, we, we've talked, but like there's no like on the website, you know, we're against gay marriage. And I think that that's where the enemy has gotten a foothold where it's like these declarations of proclaiming we're anti or we're whatever is just getting us in this, you know, loop of he's winning there. Where when it is just love and everyone is accepted, but it doesn't have to be this broad statement. It just, that's the culture and that's what happens. And in his presence, you're loved on is really like the joy of what we get to do here. And it's freedom. Yeah. That's good. I will tell you that hanging out with my 22-year-old sister sometimes is infuriating, and I want to bang my head against a wall. Because she says things with so much certainty. She's like, well, my friend says. I'm like, oh, your other 20-year-old friend? <laughs> that one? <laughs> Got the market on wisdom cornered, don't you? Woo-hoo! <laughs> and, 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 and it, it, it gets me. And then I go back to like... I'm gonna look. I I know the ways that she's that she's been broken, and what the things that have happened to her in her life that weren't fair, and weren't her choice, and the ways that she's found safety and acceptance through people that believe the way that she does. And and the beautiful thing is, she loves me, and I love her, and I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in this for her, you know maybe even getting married, having kids, and then maybe when her kids are a certain age, realizing, oh, my God, <laughs> and recognizing <laughs> that all that time I've been safe, all that time I've, just, I've spoken truth and love, and that she can come to me and say, I think in this way that you were right. Can you talk to me about Jesus? Can you, can you explain to me how to raise my kids in a way that they know truth? You know, it, it's the testimony of me continuing to live my life loving my kids and, and giving my kids freedom to figure out, you know, the truth of who they are and their sexual identity within my house. And then pe her getting to see my kids grow up and have loving, healthy relationships where maybe hers aren't. And re again, recognizing the testimony of love and the way that it plays out, that's again, why, for me, it goes all back to the culture in your own home. What we cultivate at home testifies. Um, yeah, that's good. 
We should probably start to wrap this up so yeah. that we can let the, the people go that are watching our kids. Um, we will have a, a, a small ministry team available if anybody wants to pray. Jeremy and I are going to stick around a little bit if you want to um, ask a question and more privately. Um, but yeah, Jeremy, you want to pray for us? Yeah, Holy Spirit, help. We we just love you and we thank you for the gift of sex and intimacy and, and uh, we thank you that we get to raise our kids and we get to steward our marriages uh, with the wisdom and power that you give us. We thank you for your empowering grace and we pray for even more of it, that grace from uh, Titus that says it's the kind of thing that empowers you to say no to ungodliness, this grace that has appeared to all men. We thank you for that empowering grace. And we pray that you'd make us really good at talking about this stuff um, with, uh, with wisdom and patience and that it would be the truth uh, spoken in love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.